Hello and welcome to a Tuesday 905 Roundup uh, with me, Roland Tanner. I am Joel McLeod. And uh, this is going to be our last episode for a little while. Uh, we're going to take a short break over the summer month, month and a bit maybe. I don't know. We're, we're, we'll take our break as we did last year. Uh, and we'll probably be running some highlights of our episodes from the last year during that time. And we'll be back in plenty of time for all the fun of the municipal election that is coming up. And um, I know, I think there could be some uh, fun stories there, actually. Um, uh, before before, uh, before the nominations close, I think we'll be seeing some interesting uh, faces entering the race across the I, 905 I hope region. So. I hope so. I hope that I hope we see a little bit more of an attitude for change. Uh, you know, so far it's been kind of a. I think people have kind of laid low because of the provincial election. People want to see how that uh, ended off, and now hopefully people are looking at their support and they're looking. They're going to be starting to uh, throw their hats in the ring, and I hope we see a few lively con- uh, contests throughout the region. Certainly, some lively things going on in council chambers. Um, in a number of council chambers, and we're not going to talk about that today, but but because we covered them all several times before, but uh, from Hamilton to Brampton and a whole bunch of cities in between, there's a lot of fun things. So you would think that that would carry over into the election. So we'll see. Yep. But today we're going to talk about a few other stories um, that all strongly affect the 905 region in one way or another. Um, and uh, starting off with Joel, you noticed um, a. a um, a story about uh, rather than house prices, rental prices uh, yeah. across our region. Well, uh, giving credit where it's due, uh, today on insaga.ca, uh, Jean Pereira uh, wrote a uh, column, or sorry, an article that's seeing uh, basically 905 rental uh, pricing are jumping for the really incredibly for the uh, in three years, uh, in the last three years. Uh, to put that in perspective, in uh, Burlington pretty much uh, rental has increased about 19 uh, 19% almost 20% 1920 percent um and that's that's incredible a lot of you know that's been all throughout the 905 throughout the GTA that we're seeing these housing or sorry these rental markups going up and this is at the same time that we're seeing uh, uh housing pricing like the, the housing bids are plummeting people are finally starting to that housing market seems to be really plateauing if not cooling off uh, and so we're starting to see the housing prices come down and rentals going up. And it, it's a strange, uh, I mean, we're, we're not economists on this, but it's one of those things that you just look at and you say, this can't be good. Um, you know, there, there, there are people who rent for a variety of reasons. Part of it was uh, they're looking to get into the housing market and maybe we'll start seeing that in the coming months. Perhaps we'll wait and see. Um but there's a, there's so many uh, I mean those housing prices still haven't come down enough and it's you know so there are people who are still just maybe holding on to rental spots uh, before they uh, before they uh, uh, put a bid on on their housing. I view it as kind of a confirmation of what we suspected the last time we talked about housing prices, which was a few weeks ago, uh, that we might be entering into a bit of a problem with. Uh, a, Part, the combination of the inflation that we're seeing, as well as uh, the falling housing prices, that the plan to increase our supply in the 905 in Ontario in general may not pan out as planned. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, well, I, the, 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 I mean, the plan such as it is for increasing supply as, as 
envisaged as envisaged envisaged i think i'm saying two different words there envisaged by the uh uh pc party is just make it easy to build which is fine but that that's it's a very blunt instrument it's just like let the builders do what the builders do as we've said from well as we've said as many other people more informed than us have said you know that isn't enough the, the, you know it's a particular kind of housing that that we have a chronic shortage of um and that is actually that that kind of uh first from first homes to rental accommodation in you know, a rental accommodation in particular it's already there's already a shortage you know i mean renting somewhere in burlington is is not easy at the best of times no. um if you suddenly take you know, you d- decrease the number of people willing to move out who would normally be kind of moving up the chain or whatever into into buying a house. And now they're not going to do that for a year or two, maybe, for because interest rates have gone up or whatever. Well, now you, you've got a, a real rental accommodation problem. I mean, I, I mean, I guess ultimately, over a long term, it might make being a landlord more attractive, which it hasn't been a very attractive proposition for decades. Oh, um, that's... That the problem is again, it comes down to a supply issue. There's not. You might be very attractive if you're a potential landlord to say, "Well, I'd lo- I'd love to build a few uh, units and, and and rent them out to people and start making my money back that way over the long term." The problem, as I as I saw it, I kind of still do, is inflation is causing the cost of building supplies to rise and the profit margin on on either flipping that unit. Or, or making your money back on renting is starting to dwindle uh, an awful lot. Like it, it, that, the cost of of building something is just rising and rising and rising. And if I was a, a I was a, a developer, I'm looking at this and saying, yeah, am I going to build a gigantic tower that a uh, you know that's going to cost me far more than I anticipated? And I can't I can't sell those units for you know two, three, four times the asking price uh, because the demand's not there. It's what I'm saying is basically, I don't think the free market's going to solve this one uh, for the, the free market alone, uh, which is, yeah, it's a, it's a real, it's a real problem. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the strange moments, right, where I mentioned Stephen Harper and mentioned him in, in a way as kind of doing a kind of sort of good thing when we had the recession in 2008. Now, he was forced into it and it wasn't his natural inclination and it was, uh, but basically massive government intervention um, and spending as mm-hmm. a way to offset um, a, a recession. Well, increased interest rates, just the general effects of COVID. I mean, I guess they haven't put us into a recession yet, but certainly when you see house prices going down, I mean, there's a whole load of factors at the moment that we're seeing. Uh, one way to deal with that would be you know, large-scale government investment in 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 house building uh, for rental, specifically aimed at um, lower income people, yep. people who who want to rent short term, long term, whatever. And because that, you know the rental housing supply in, in Ontario is 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 aging. You know, I mean, you, you there's very little new rental accommodation built, um, and, and so you know this is just a, a problem. It's already a problem. It's just going to get worse. And actually, I mean, again, I'm kind of repeating myself from previous episodes. I, I unusually for someone who rents and who is not of a right-wing persuasion have serious questions to ask about rent control because you know if someone's renting out something they will get their money one way or the other you know you're you're you can't 
either it's a free market or it isn't either are allowed to set their rents or they aren't if you say well, okay anyone who's living there for more than a few years you can't increase their rent more than whatever it is two percent which is now four percent lower than inflation um well that means they have to get their money when someone does move out then they have to jack the price up more than they otherwise would have done so that they've got some kind of safety net in place um, for, you know, if this person stays in this this flat for 20 years, we're not going to get completely screwed. Um, so I, I just don't, I, I think, I mean, I know I am. Well, the, the solution, the solution to this is going to be a very, uh, it, it's, it's a, it's a complex situation. It's going to need a variety of different tools and, and regulations and, and, funding to to solve and i i my worry is that this government as we saw in the the previous term a does not think big and two does not want to be bold in its endeavors they will do the bare minimum that's why they they said okay our our big plan is we're just going to take off all the red tape on housing development and we're going to let builders build 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 well here we have a situation where they they're going to do that it's going to happen i don't think the builders are going to sit there and say i don't really want to build right now I'll wait until after the recession and then I'll start building. And we're still going to be, we're going to be in a worse situation off in terms of the housing supply because there'll be more people who are in dire straits and in need of good living conditions. And it's just not going to be there. And even still, if you start saying, oh, it's a build, it'll be years, months, years until those accommodations are are up and uh, up and running. So yeah, this is something that uh, it, it's going to require a lot of intervention now. And a little, and I think it has to come from the provincial government, but I'm not sure it's gonna. I'm not sure it's gonna happen that way. No, no, no. I mean, it it, it won't. It just, it's not their style, you know. No, it's um, not. Yeah. Well, you know what? Let's take a, a break there for uh for our sponsor, and we'll come back uh, with another uh, fascinating story from the 905. And we're back. So, Roland, we have Halton Regional Chair is uh is finally starting to heat up that that race <laughs> yeah it is it's it's, it's uh, everything that's old is new again um we, we've talked a lot about new faces on councils recently and uh <laughs> maybe this is the exception that proves the rule gary carr who has been oh when did he become regional uh chair oh, he's both I mean, 2008 something uh, 2010 yeah. i know this is a good long time uh since joyce savaline i think was his predecessor as as chair uh she's been gone a long good good while um so there were widespread rumors that gary carr was going to retire and to extent, i mean jane mckenna uh, burlington's former mpp threw her hat into the ring to you know uh, resign she, from, from yeah she resigned from her position as mpp with the intention of running for regional chair yeah and, and we kind of a lot of people felt that this like oh well you know gary's kind of tipped the nod or whatever and and she's you know gary carr was was um formerly a, a pc mpp albeit he ceased to be a pc mpp under somewhat of a cloud back in the day as uh, uh was he speaker or deputy speaker anyway speaker there, there was uh he got in trouble with his own party um and and that kind of ended his uh, career there but um so he he, he has a you know he's 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 nobody's PC toady, you know, he's, he, he has, he's, I will say this, even though he's blocked me on Twitter, <laughs> I don't hold it against him. I will say that he is his own person and that that's fair enough to say. Um, and I also also say, apparently he used to play hockey. Did you know that? 
No. <laughs> he didn't? He must be uh, the only person holding every time you hear him speak, yeah. he mentions that he used to play hockey. Um, I think he was in the minor leagues or something in the anyway. Anyway, I'm just kidding. If you're listening, Gary, I apologize. I'm just pulling your leg. Um, however, having widely rumored that he wasn't gonna run again, um, he's running again. And um you know, far from kind of stepping aside to help another PC politician take the chair, um, he's going to fight it out with Jane McKenna. Um, uh, and you know what? I, I suspect, well, I know. <laughs> you know, it, it's not the most exciting uh, uh, battle. I mean, I, I would be happy to see a fresh face at, at Halton Region, um, personally. Um, I would just say it's a job that I don't think anybody wants uh, because like the last election, Gary ran un- unopposed uh, as well. well. The, the, I mean, yeah, there technically was some, um, um, oh, blimey. I've, I've, uh, Anne Marston ran. Um, oh, this, okay. Anne Marston is, is a, uh, a frequent flyer, so to speak, in um, municipal elections in Halton and Burlington. Well, either um, way, I mean, that, but the, the point is like, there was, it's, it's not a position that draws a lot of attention. There's not, there, you know, there's not a lot of, regional chair uh debates that uh that happened throughout halton and so this one this one might change though a bit uh because i think i think his uh his declaring today that he was going to run for the regional chair has really thrown a wrench into jane mckenna's campaign plans because let's face it she was at the for a a good chunk of the of the while she was probably going to run unopposed people were like nobody was really itching that they wanted to be regional chair um it's not a glamorous elected position. I mean, the, just the name regional chair is not, it's not one of those, ooh, yes. Uh, I mean, it should be higher profile than it is. Anyway, I mean, it's, you would think, I, but... I, I kind of find it, you know, that, that they, they are spending billions of dollars. They have more power than the municipal governments. You know, if, like if, the, he, if he pisses off the trash collectors, yeah, you're going to know who the regional chair is real fast. Uh, Actually, no, but, here's, here's the thing. He would, probably wouldn't, because I guarantee you, if if that's hypothetically, there's there's not going to be one that uh, not not happening. But if the trash, if the the waste collectors in Halton Region, the people who pick up your garbage, if they went on strike for whatever reason, whatever the 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 ish, the reason was, I guarantee you, his the regional chair's office will not get a phone call. It will be every mayor. It'll be Burton. Mead Ward, uh, whoever wins up in the Halton Hills and uh, <laughs> uh, 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 Bob Cr- or, or Gord Krantz is going to be get fielding phone calls up to the yin yang saying, Hey, you got to settle with the trash unions. And it'd be like, That's not that's not their call. I mean, like they said at the regional table, they're on the they're at the regional council, but you know, it's the chair who's going to probably be cheerleading that that debate. Um, and there's other, other things like that that you know you, you think about, but it's it's a uh, I mean, they make big decisions. It's just that no one in the public pays attention. You know, we we don't talk about it very much. Um, it's it's difficult. I mean, like, I remember you know in two thousand eighteen ish, Halton um, had a budget item for rebuilding one of the bridges on Highway Five. So this is in for anybody not from Burlington and Oakville. Highway Five kind of goes to the north of those two towns, uh, and uh, yeah, that was a billion dollar item billion dollars to spend on on rebuilding a road and for widening and things like that and it's like you know and it was you know the the decision making was like well you know we'll, we'll reduce the usual stuff we'll reduce congestion we'll make it wider well highway five is already a horrible 
road. Um, and I think anybody can say they enjoy driving along Highway 5. You know, it's a mixture of, of strip malls and just, you know, it's about, yes. I don't know how many lanes it is wide, six lanes, certainly, most of the way. And it's like, are you sure a billion dollars on, on a bridge is, is, is the best use of money? Um, you, know, it, it, you know, imagine what you could do with a billion dollars put into transit. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't believe the kind of numbers involved um, in, in this single damn bridge. But of course, no one's paying attention. Nobody really cares. It's like, you know, bridges, whatever. But, you know, it's, it's not exciting. It's so drains. Here, and it's, so here's the uh, thing. Do you think, I mean, I, I suspect this this race will heat up a bit because, again, Jane McKenna thought that it was going to be a uh, a cakewalk. Uh, she would just walk into this and, and land a plum uh, six-figure job again. Or do we think uh, uh, that we're going to see a little bit of, of debate over this? Like, we're actually going to see... Because there are there are two high profile numbers, and that, I bring that up because things like this, like now you actually have to debate, actually seriously debate, and say like why why wouldn't we spend money to work on a regional transit plan? Why wouldn't we work on um, uh, on, on, on on you know on better better transit infrastructure, things of that nature, to help us get around uh, between the these towns? There there are huge things which should. So right now in Holton, transit is a responsibility of the cities, which is stupid. As a result, it's almost impossible. Well, it's not almost impossible. It's far more difficult than makes any kind of logical sense to get a bus from Burlington to Oakville, let alone a bus from Burlington to well, Milton. There you are, can't there, really do it. There are reasons for that. I mean, there, there's. I know for a fact that it's because you have. Uh, you cannot drive. You, uh, one bus transit system can, legally cannot pick up um, transit riders in another city. You can drop people off there, but you can't pick them up there. Well, that that's the law that needs to change. <laughs> that's, well, that's 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 at the provincial level. Well, I, I know I know for a fact that's now. I would argue it would be something like for a regional chair to go to the province, say, no, 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 we want to take or have an agreement maybe with all the re, the top four mayors, say, no, no, we're going to create, um, we we're going to upload all the transit responsibilities to the Halton region. They, they, they that, could campaign for that, and I think they should. I, I know that Marianne Edward was talking about that in 2018 and because she, she mentioned it to me, and I thought it was a great – I would have 100% agree with her. Okay. Uh, transit makes no sense at – you know, if you've got the two levels, if you've got regional and you've got uh, lower-level municipalities, mm-hmm. um, it may – you know, it, what sense would it make for Hamilton to have five transit systems rather than one Hamilton-wide regional yeah. transit? You know, it, it, it's ludicrous. And, you know, and if the law says you can't pick up people in, in a, I mean, that's it's crazy. Uh, we're, we're meant to be designing, you know, and lots of great things have happened in transit in the last decade or so under multiple governments of multiple different parties. I will fully admit. I, I, um, I, I think we're just we're getting off to, off topic here. But like going back to the the race between Jane and Gary, like th- these are ideas I would hope would come forward. Like we'd actually have a campaign of ideas. Yeah. Uh, I mean, are, are I, we gonna... surprised if I see that? Well, that's, uh, you know, I, I, I would be willing to bet that a Gary Carr might have stepped aside for a different person. You know, it says, I suspect, I suspect it says something about how Jane McKenna is viewed that Gary Carr is like, yeah. stop that. I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm coming back for another four time. years. Yeah. And it, like, that's just, that's so sad because, you know, we just, you and I had a kind of a good debate or a good discussion about what could happen in the region that would really benefit people. And instead we have somebody who probably, I'm wondering, do they actually have a fully fledged campaign 
um, in terms of what they want to sell to the region uh, it, because they weren't planning on it, right? You didn't have to put together a campa- uh, campaign because nobody else was running versus Gary Carr, who comes in and just says, I'm not her. Vote well, for uh, me. Yeah, and that, safe and pair that, of hands and Holton. Yeah, all these right. I'm, I'm, the guy, I'm the guy who's been there for the last, you know, yeah. uh, uh, 15 years or so. Yeah, give me it. I want the job again. And it just says something about our, pol- our politics where, you know, we'd have people not like we're just we have a lack of good debate. I'd say in like the last provincial election, I know people are tired of it, but you know, we had a, a, just a poor lack of actual ideas and debates about how people are, what people need to make their lives better. Uh, and, and if Jane McKenna wants to win, she has to have ideas for the first time in her life. You know, she's not oh, God, hanging yeah. on the coattails of, of her party. Card, leader. Yeah. Um, she's, she's on her own. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm uh, you know, I, I <laughs> I, well, she is. She's on, she's on her own. She, she has is to, on her own for the first time, and I think yeah. she's going to come up short unless I'm very much surprised because I have seen no evidence over the last 10, 12 years, however long it is, that Jane McKenna has ever had an original idea of her own or, or any great insight about anything. And I hate to be so kind of brutal well, about it, but 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 it's just here's, the case. Here's the, chal- you know? here's the challenge. Prove, Jane, prove them wrong. Yeah. I mean, she wants to win. She has to give people a reason to choose something different. Yeah. Um, and, and that's very difficult at a municipal level at any time. It's extremely level at the difficult at the regional mm-hmm. level. Um, and you know, unless Jane McKenna's been hiding her gifts under a bushel extremely well for a for a decade, um, you know, <laughs> we're well, we'll wait and see. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, she's had a few months already that she could have been out there, and I haven't seen anything. So no. All right, let's move on to our final uh, chat for the night, uh, for the day. Um, Peel, uh, more specifically, the Dufferin Peel School Board is in a bit of a rebellion, apparently, over uh, de-streaming their uh, their their, their uh, academic streams. Yeah, I mean, this is this is uh, another story from this is a story from the Pointer, um, which is uh, does you know is a website that uh, does a lot of reporting on, on Brampton and Mississauga, especially Brampton. Um, and, and Peel District School Board, I'm not sure that there's any district school board in the whole province, um, certainly not in the 905, that has covered itself in glory in recent years. But Peel is another school board that seems pretty dysfunctional. Um, it, uh, you know, the, the ministry has stepped in at various points to um, basically bring them back into line um, to uh, kind of take over. Uh, and um, uh, the the issue at the moment is the phasing out of streaming, which for anybody who, well, I dare say we've all been at school at some point, so you probably know what streaming is, but the idea of putting people into different classes or um, t- based on judgments of academic ability, whether someone is more suited for an academic um career or more uh, suited for um i don't know what the word is vocational or or, or non-academic anyway um and it's been shown time and time again that this 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 will um this has all kinds of negative effects um it is very open to intentional or unintentional biases and racism um uh, that that will count against people from less uh, less economically well, fortunate backgrounds. Well, let's, cetera, let's, be, let's be honest here. It's a program that you're streaming is supposed to be you enter into high school and by the time you're 
by the age of 14, you're expected to be able to plan ahead exactly what your career will be. Um, and you go into either an academically inclined stream of education where the idea is you will graduate from high school and go on to get a degree from a lovely Ontario university and become a thinker and professional and earn all sorts of money at being a liberal elite. Or you go into a general, uh, as you said, vocational stream where the idea is, no, you can't cut it. You're supposed to go into uh, the trades and yeah, because you, you quite frankly, you're not smart enough. So you will go and become a, a, a tradesperson and you'll go work for those lovely rich people in academia, uh, uh, fixing their toilets and installing their light fixtures. That's the, that's the general idea. Where it's come into is that it's the evidence is overwhelming, overwhelmingly there that um, racialized students are put into the less glamorous stream. Uh, for no other reason than, well, the color of their skin. Let's be let's be blunt about it. So I I think it's a good idea that we're de-streaming. Uh, and again, credit where it's due. Let's give credit to Stephen Lecce uh, for for pushing this through and de-streaming um, our our education system. Because I, for the life of me, do not understand the purpose of it. Like who at the age of fourteen or fifteen will predict? Oh, this is exactly how I'm going to live my life for until the the day I retire. Oh, I mean, and I guess there's that there's that assumption that if you put uh, less academically gifted children in the same class as academically gifted children, the less academically gifted will drag down the gifted. Um, you know that that is the that is the hypothesis that may, many people I think take as fact. Um, now there's been a ton of research done on this over decades and decades and decades, and and we are told by the people who do the research that that is not actually what the outcome is. Um, the outcome of streaming, and this I can certainly speak to, and we were we were chatting before we came on. I think we can both speak to it with a certain amount of personal experiences that um, the streaming can you know, literally divide families um, and, and it ha- comes with a very strong stigma of success and failure on young children who, who, you know, a- at a young age, 14 here, um, mm. are basically told, well, you're not, yeah, you're not good enough. You can't go with bright kids. Now I knew I wasn't, you know, when I was at school, I was very bad at math, like abysmally bad at math. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I knew I was never going to be the, the, the smartest kid, but to kind of um, to stream you in that way, where you're you're, you're kind of you're judged and, and and found wanting at a particular, mm-hmm. rather given that flexibility of you know you can depending on how hard you work and depending on you, can, you you can still you, know, you can still get to university you know I, uh, and you know actually I mean just my experience with streaming in Britain, which is which happens even younger, um, and in, where I grew up literally they would send you to a different school depending on whether you're on your um depending on that judgment that was made at that age um you know as as a white kind of middle middle class ish child i was very fortunate enough to have parents who could mm-hmm. kind of play the system and get me into the good school through hiring tutors through uh, um and and actually just well, that, from the fact that I was the youngest of, of four meant that they they'd learned how to game things by the time they got to me. <laughs> uh, so that, I survived. But I mean that that, that proves the point that, that that's the, that's what happens here is that white families are able to afford tutors and after school uh, uh assistance to help their kids go through that. I I think the whole system is just flawed because the I think when most 
people like just cursory, like you think of the Canadian education system, the idea is all these kids in a school, you learn together, you, you go to the sports together, you, you, you grow up together, and then you graduate and you go off to wherever you go off to university and you go off to, to college and you, you, whatever you find, you find yourself then the, the idea of the streaming, which is the notion of, oh, well, by the time you're 14, we're pretty much going to pick out your life for you is such a, it, it, it tells me just how out of date our education system is with the realities of the 21st century. The, if you think, because if you think about it, the, the mentality of it, the, the, the philosophy of it is you're going to only have one job or one career for your entire life. Um, the idea is you're going to, if you don't make it an academic, the academic stream, you're going to go out, you're going to become a tradesperson. You're going to become a plumber or an electrician or a carpenter or, or a, uh, something. And you're going to do that for life. Same as, oh, you're going to go into academia. Yeah. You're going to become a, get a degree in math or science or, or history or English, whatever. And you're going to do that for life. You and I both know that is not the case. Anybody listening to this podcast will know that is not the case in the, in the reality. You go through a variety of different careers. You're constantly going back to school to reta- retrain, finish up a degree, broaden your 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 skill set, whatever the case may be. Tools change by the time you get into your your middle age, and but our school system is still geared towards this idea of oh, you're only going to have one job, and you're going to have to learn to do that. And yeah. the idea is at the age of 14, we're going to train you to do that, which is why again. I'm rambling a bit here and I'm getting definitely off topic, but bear with me, <laughs> which is why you hear from like an university level professor saying kids graduating from Ontario University or Ontario high schools are not equipped for the rigors of university. And you have to wonder about that because our high schools, like our education system isn't geared towards you think independently, you think on your own. It's no, we train you to put the the bolt in the door, bolt in the in the wheel, and work on the assembly line. That is its mentality. That is how it is structured. Um, I, you know, yeah, and I don't want to put that too strongly because I, I suspect, you know, these are things which are, have been, are in the process of being phased out. I mean, have been phased out for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you also have to say that, you know, we're, we're frequently told by, again, by multiple governments that, that Ontario schools hold up very well against schools anywhere in other places in the world. So, I mean, I don't know. Either the, I, I don't believe they're completely making that up. Um, I think we have a fairly decent um, school system. Could it be better? Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. you know, there's no doubt about that. And, and, you know, politics tends to not help when it gets involved, uh, you know. And this is what we're dealing with here. I mean, getting back to, to the Peel School Board. Yep. Again, My apologies. We, we, <laughs> no, no. Well, well, I was wondering off topic earlier. Um, the again, we have a bunch of school trustees who probably are not the smartest students themselves, quite frankly. Or if they were, that that part of their brain has departed some years ago. Um, sticking their oars in, thinking they know yeah. better than than the people who work at the education ministry. Who you know, the the apolitical, non-political, the researchers, the, the people who actually look into this stuff and say, "Well, this this <laughs> this is how this should be done." The school trustees have no business sticking their oar into it. If the ministry says do X, you have to do X. And mm-hmm. even under a government that I do not like, they have the right to do that. The trustees do not. Um, and again, it comes back, you know. Well, I I look at it. I look at our our coverage of school board trustees. 
uh, on this podcast. We, we haven't talked too much about the different Peel school board, but we have talked about uh, the Hamilton as well as the definitely the Halton Catholic school boards. Um, I've come to the conclusion on on this matter that school boards in general are completely useless and need to be abolished in this province. Elected I, school boards, yeah. I mean, elected, I really like, don't. I really like, don't. Yeah, think... the, the elected, like the trustees, the elected trustees part are completely useless and need to be abolished. Uh, you can have an administration that handles the financial aspect of making sure that you know schools get a fresh coat of paint and 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 science equipment is you know is is working and all that. But aside from that, I don't see why we need elected school boards. They they are completely useless in my opinion in this uh, modern age. Yeah, and uh, yeah, they don't they attract two types of people. Uh, one people who just get off on being elected to something uh, and basically being elected to the lowest level you can be elected to uh and and, and those people who are hoping for a uh, a political career further up the ladder um and you know, there are good trustees don't get me wrong there are good trustees however you cannot prove to me that they're actually doing anything particularly necessary uh, and and you look at the things in this province that are done by by boards and committees that are not elected, police services board, for mm-hmm. instance. I mean, it, it's incredible. I mean, there's a much better case for police services board being elected than than the uh, uh, damn school boards. Um, and, and you know, they only get in the news when they're doing something dreadful. And we've seen plenty of evidence of of dreadfulness in the last couple of years. Um, and I mean, ultimately, it's it's it's. I mean, I, I fear that the municipalities are going in the same direction, but basically trustees do not have any power of any great significance. I mean, no. they, they sign off on the budget. That is their only real job. And they get to pick a name for any damn new schools. I mean, how pathetic. whoop de do. Yeah. We do not need to elect a bunch of no-hopers to... <laughs> Sorry, Joel, you ran for that. <laughs> I, I, I ran and I, I, I said this before, looking back on my loss was the greatest victory <laughs> of my life because uh, I, I i look at like i don't see i just i just don't see any purpose to it it's like the the staff are staff of school boards are able to facilitate the funds to where it needs to go the fact that you have these trustees that want to nitpick and throw cogs in the machine and, and whatnot because they can it does a disservice to our education system they they're they're more of an they're more of an impediment than oversight and here's the thing if there is oversight if there's an issue with a school if there's an issue with the 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 funding of a school guess what it's going to the minister of education nobody nobody knows who their trustee is if you if you have an issue with oh my school doesn't have enough you know it, it the, the roof's caving in you're calling up the ministry of education to say fix my school so and, and the whole pride and pride flag issue is only an issue because the because the ministry didn't want to get involved and they didn't want to let lay down the law for fear that they might be the ones who catch the flag. So they'd leave it to the trustees. And the trustees, I say, there are many good trustees, but they're also trustees who, in the Catholic school boards, are there Talk because they are religious bigots. Yeah. yeah. And they're, they're there to promote themselves, to do whatever they need to do to keep the family life coalition people happy, whatever. Um, yeah. It, it, yeah, it brings the whole thing in distribute. And again, if, if I compare, you know, Britain has a Catholic, state-run Catholic schools, very much like Canada does, like Ontario does. Um, 
I don't remember them. It may have changed in the last 20 years, of course, but I don't remember at any point Catholic schools ever being a controversial issue in Britain because there's not a bunch of elected people sticking their oar in right. on religious issues <laughs> that, to, to self-promote or to right. just, you know, whatever it is that they think they're doing. No, we just, um, we need to get rid of school boards in general so that we can, you know, in this case, let the ministry of, minister of education and the ministry of education do the right thing and this this policy of streaming in our publicly funded schools. So the idea is that kids can learn together equally and, you know, grow and grow and become, and then have the rest of their lives to figure out what, what is it they want to become, not to be decided upon them at the age of 14. I mean, these are all issues that I do not see. You know, we just had an election and the things that we've talked about repeatedly, we've repeatedly talked about how bad school trustees are. We've talked mm-hmm. about, you know, the you know municipal government being overridden to a degree that that is out of step with public perception of municipal powers. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's so many things we talked about again and again and again. They weren't talked about at the election. You know, I mean, sure, housing was, um, but but yeah, I mean, like these these big issues with education are, are are not talked about, but they will talk about. You know, well, in 2018 we had the whole you know, sex ed thing and, uh, you know, things that yeah. just aren't important at all. Well, I think on that note, let's bring this episode to a close because uh, I see our time is uh, running short. So thank you very much, everyone, for listening. And a reminder, we are off for the uh, majority majority of the summer. We'll be back in time for this fall's uh, municipal election uh, to hopefully talk about the riveting and controversial stories that will emerge as the uh, as the uh, as the election approaches so thanks everyone take care and uh we'll talk to you soon bye-bye bye-bye that's it for this episode of the 905er thank you for listening as always you can send us your feedback thoughts and concerns or ideas for future episodes to our email info at 905er.ca we'd love to hear from you You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. Did, Will, The Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. 
Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice in the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network.